moving. Welcome to Something to Do, a podcast devoted exclusively to discussion and devotion of two of our favorite bands, Husker Du and The Replacements. Each episode will be nerding out about all aspects of two of the most influential bands in the pantheon of American rock acts. I'm Jude, and this is my co-host, Greg. Hey, Jude. How's it going? Good, man. How are you? I'm, I'm good. I'm not working, so it's a good day. Whenever you're not working, <laughs> it's a good day. How about you? How are you doing? I'm doing good. So yeah, so this week we're going to be interviewing uh, a friend of mine, Jeff Dean, um, guitar player for many bands, some of which are Airstream Futures, All Eyes West, and Dead Ending that are currently going right now. Um, he's also played in bands like The Bomb uh, with Jeff Pizzotti from Naked Ray Gun. Um, he played in Noise by Numbers. Um, he played in a band called Four Star Alarm that covered Sugar, actually. Yeah, totally. And um, he's been in just a ton of bands. Um, I've had the pleasure of, you know, uh, sharing the stage with him before. Uh, when I played in Easy Creatures, we played with All Eyes West. Before I joined Easy Creatures, they did a split seven inch with All Eyes West. So there's a deep connection there. Really great there. record too. Um, and uh, through the, uh, I'm actually met Jeff through the Dag Nasty message board, which is another, awesome. you know, kind of thing that ties everything together. Um, so yeah, so we have the, uh, an interview with Jeff that I think people are going to really enjoy. Yeah. It was, um, it was actually my first time meeting Jeff. He was such a nice dude. I could have talked to him all day. Yeah, like we got to the point where we were just like, um, I guess we have to stop because right. <laughs> we don't want this to go for, you know, four hours. But um, the good news is, spoiler alert, he said he would gladly come back on and uh, yeah. chat about the replacements. This time we, we uh, kept it to a Husker Du, Sugar, Bob Mould, Grant Hart, Greg Norton uh, conversation. But yeah, it was a really good time. So I guess first up, before we get into the interview, Jude, did you want to talk about some bookkeeping we have? Um, thanks as always to everyone who's been listening, following along, engaging on social media accounts. Um, just as a friendly reminder, we're now on iTunes and other streaming services. Um, and hopefully by the time you're listening to this, we should also be on Spotify. We've also been receiving just some like really heartening messages from folks who've been listening to the podcast. I know that we joked about this, Greg, but I, when we started this, I genuinely was like, oh, it's just going to be us listening. Yeah, maybe some friends listening out of pity. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we may recommend, even if you don't like the podcast, if you listen on half speed, we found out, we just sound like we're on cough syrup. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it amuses me every single time. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, we got a message on Instagram from a user named Dead Set on Destruction. Um, Love that name. And... Uh, Basically, they just said, you know, they thanked us for the podcast, talked about how the bands have been a soundtrack to their adult life. Same with Jude and I. Um, and just a nice thank you. And uh, they said this was what was interesting to show the reach that you never kind of think about having, you know, when you're putting these things out and we're just recording them in our living room. Right. Um, he's a Canadian expat living in Taiwan. Um, and he was literally listening, you know, sitting on his balcony uh you know, listen to the podcast. And he actually said, please don't ever stop with this project. So Aww. that was really sweet. And Aww. honestly, luckily, after doing this interview with Jeff Dean, I realized we have plenty of content. There's yeah. so many people we can talk to. We have a lot of cool 
uh, people that are lined up that I don't want to jinx yet. So I'm not going to say anything, but <laughs> some people that are going to uh, talk and um, I think people will really enjoy. Yeah. A lot of stuff I'm super, super personally excited about. Yeah. Um, so do we have any, we do have one correction. Okay. Or right. maybe not even a correction, but a comment. Um, my friend Matt pointed out that the bass player sick of it all. I said his name was Rich something. It's uh, Rich Cipriano. I think that's how it's pronounced. And he was on the sick of it all first seven inch um, and blood, sweat and no tears. And um, just look around. And I guess we, we stand alone EP too. So he had that Rickenbacker and all those photos. Yeah. Didn't he have the, the with the no headstock, right? Right. Yeah. And um, so he's on some of their best stuff. Um, and then it, I did some research and Craig Satari, you know, from straight ahead and youth of today, he didn't join sick of it all until 1993. So I'm pretty sure that he is on that. Who's do target cover. Awesome. Um, and then also from last episode, we mentioned that uh, around the time of everything falls apart, that DYS were recording their absolutely legendary record brotherhood and Husker Du sang backups on the song Wolfpack, which I think wasn't even released until years later. Um, and the singer of DYS, Dave Smalley, um, who was in like, you know, along with DYS, he was in Dag Nasty for a couple mm -hmm. records over the years, you know, not uh, sequentially in order, but he came back a couple times all for a couple records. So there's the SST connection with, you know, descendants yeah. and uh, also down by law and a, a bunch of other bands. He has a new band called don't sleep and they have a new record coming out September 4th on mission Two entertainment, um, which is like the new victory records label. Yeah. And they have a song called refine me that they released and it's really freaking good. Like if you're a fan of, uh, you know, Smalley's vocals and that melodic hardcore sound, like definitely check it out. It sounds like it could have been on Dag Nasty four on the floor. There's keeping it, keeping it all connected to the Hooskers and yeah. stuff. So there we go. All right. So I hope everyone enjoys the interview, listening to it as much as we did doing it. So yeah. here goes on to the interview. Cool. Jeff, thanks for coming on the pod. Yeah, no problem, man. Um, so how's it going? You're you're what in Chicago? You're in Chicago area, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's going. You know, quarantine life. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of records that get listened to around here these days. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know if you guys, if this is just audio podcast or if it's video or not. When you guys post it, I don't know if you can see, but I have like a mixed studio in my house. So I mean. I work at a studio out of a studio in the city, but I do all my mixing at home. My wife and I, we started doing this thing that we call all the fun Friday, where basically after we, we get my son to bed, we just hang out in the studio and listen to old records over the fancy studio monitors and just hang out, drink beers and I don't know, <laughs> solve all the world's problems. That sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, it sounds it's, fun. Been, it's been a real, like, like a, it's been awesome. Like I, I feel stoked that we have this. Yeah, it's a nice, like a little sanctuary. I don't yeah. have a, I don't have a separate room for my records yet. Someday, but yeah. um, 
So I guess, you know, I know, you know, we, we've known each other now for a while. Um, but for, for everyone listening that may not give us a little bit of like your background, you know, bands, you know, I know you play in a bunch of bands. You said you record, um, you know, tell, tell our listeners all about that. I grew up in Las Vegas. My, the first band I played in was a hardcore band called Tomorrow's Gone. And then I moved to Detroit for a few years and I played in a band called Cleons Down with Jade Navarro from Suicide Machines. And then I moved back to Vegas for a little bit. And I actually played guitar in Faded Gray at the very beginning. Like, I didn't, we, didn't play, we didn't play a show together, but I wrote a couple of the songs that they ended up using. And then moved to Chicago in the late 90s, and I've been here ever since. And just I play guitar in bands, and I record and mix albums for people. So I don't know. That's kind of it. So could could awesome. you, do you know? <laughs> you want me to list all the bands? There's a lot no, I was going to say, <laughs> we listed, I listed some at the end of uh, episode four, but like, do you have a rough estimate of how many bands that you've played in since you started playing? 16, 17, maybe? Oh, not cool. And maybe like usually more? there's like usually there's like five at the same time. <laughs> you know, it's it's not it's not something I set out to do. I just have time. I like playing different kinds of music, I guess. You know, I like playing hardcore music. I like playing slower stuff. I don't know. <laughs> it's I like playing with lots of people, you know. It's 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 fun. Yeah, definitely. So. I can I can see that. And you know, the bands are all pretty different. It's not like you're in, you know, three or four bands that sound like one thing. So uh keeps cool. things Thanks. real interesting. Yeah, I mean I think I kinda have a specific guitar style, I guess, but I mean I, I would I don't think any of the bands that I play in is even currently sound remotely alike, you know. It's funny you mentioned the guitar style because from when I first heard you, I always thought like you have a style that's like a mix between like Bob Mould and Brian Baker, which is always <laughs> why. I mean, you basically just <laughs> nailed like how I taught myself how to play guitar. Yeah, like, you can tell. Like, I just I remember like Dag Nasty is such a, such a huge fan of that band, still am, and. When I like eventually found guitar, I was like, I want to play like this. And I literally locked myself in my bedroom at my mom's house and learned how to play Can I Say front to back. I mean, minus the solos. I still can't solo like Brian Baker, but like, I was like, that's how I cut my teeth on how like playing guitar, how I learned. And then, I mean, you throw, and then throw some Adam Franklin in there, some Swerve Driver, and then yeah. there you go. Yeah, huge Adam Franklin fan. That's awesome. Jeff, you cracked you crack the code, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> I won't tell anyone. Oh, wait, too late. <laughs> Jeff, home studio behind you looks super nice. What's your favorite piece of like musical equipment that you own? My favorite that I own? I have two vintage Ampex 350 preamps that are out of like a, you know, like the vintage Ampex tape machines from the 50s. That's awesome. Those are my favorite. It's like, they're not universally great over everything, but I can't think of a better sounding vocal preamp than that. They're just, they're stellar. <laughs> and they're, oh. I mean, you know, they're from the fifties, man. It's like, I'm really fortunate that I was able to find a, like two of them. Yeah. You want to talk about, you want to talk about gear and guitars. <laughs> we could do a whole separate podcast yeah. about that. <laughs> I nerd, uh, about, nerd out about that shit all day. <laughs> while we're on the subject, what's your favorite guitar that you own? I will show you. Or does it kind of right. depend a little on like the style of music that you're playing in the given band? This guy right here. Oh, this yes, you do. Gold top. That's this correct. Is, this is my, this is the best guitar I've ever played. 
So what <laughs> kind, what, what is that just for people that are going to be listening? Uh, they can't see it. That's a Les Paul. It's a, a 68 Gibson Les Paul gold top. So, Looks very nice. Yeah. It's really, it's a really funny story how I got this guitar. I was recording a band and my friend Dave, who's a huge guitar nerd and stuff. And like, we've sold each other guitars back and forth throughout the years. And I was recording his band, the Addisons doing an EP for him. And he showed up to the studio with that guitar and he opened up the case and I'm like, Oh, that's going to be mine. And he, he just kind of laughed about it. He's like, ah, yeah, okay. I'm like, no, the moment I saw it, there was such a connection. I was just like, yeah, that's going to be my guitar someday. And then it was like, you know, throughout making the record and stuff, like Dave just talked to me. He was like, were you serious about that? And I was like, absolutely. And he was like, okay. And then we just like sorted out a deal. <laughs> I was like, yep, that guitar was meant to be mine. <laughs> that's awesome. great. That's awesome. You mentioned Adam Franklin earlier. I always think of like Bob Mould and Adam Franklin are just like, I find both of their guitar playing like so hypnotic. Like I could just like sit around, analyze like their guitar parts. Like it's like the Zapruder film or something like that. I just yeah. like think about it and I'm like, what, what do they do in there? Like what kind of equipment There's is that? There's a lot of textures in the way that they both play. Mm -hmm. Something that I always latch on to. Yeah. I mean, continue on like the guitar aspect of that. What's funny about that is that I mean, I got into punk basically from Dinosaur Jr., who's still probably my all-time favorite band. Out of Brian Baker, Bob Mould, Adam Franklin, and Jay Maskus, Baker's the only one that plays a gift like a Les Paul. Everybody else plays, like Adam Franklin, Jay Maskus, Jazz Masters, Bob yeah. Mould, you know, Strat. And I mean, I do own a, a, a Jazz Master. I mean, it was inevitable that I was, that, that I, there's no way I wasn't going to play one at one point. But the only band that I play that guitar in is All Eyes West. Like, it's. Just I was gonna say that's what that's what I when when we played with you guys that was the guitar you were using. It's just the right guitar for that band. I mean, there is like to get those kind of bend, those swerve drivery My Bloody Valentine bends. You need that tremolo system that's in a Jazzmaster or a Jaguar. It's like it's just the way that it is. It just works. So, you know, yeah. when I when I started like with All Eyes West, when I really wanted to incorporate those kind of vibes into some of the songs, it was like, okay, like I have to have that guitar. Like I, you can't do that with the Les Paul. Yeah. I, I always, it's funny too that you mentioned like the Swerve Driver and Adam Franklin, My Bloody Valentine, you know, as, as most people know, like Bob was heavily influenced by My Bloody Valentine and those bands, like when he did Sugar. But, well, I mean, Sugar, Sugar was on Creation Records. You right. Know what I mean? But the funny <laughs> like, thing is, yeah. is, and I've heard other people make this claim, is that Husker Du was a big influence on the shoegaze bands. Like once they did, um, I think I remember seeing something with, I'm blanking on, uh, what's the name, the Creation Records guy name? Why can't I? Oh, Alan, Alan McGee. McGee. Yeah. He talked about the eight miles high, the birds, you know, the birds color. Oh, yeah, totally. And, and how like that was like what set off that whole shoegaze scene so it's I mean, kind of just goes full best, circle it's one of the best cover songs ever recorded as, as far i mean doesn't matter if you like punk or not like it's so good the vocal performance on that on that cover is like shakes you you know yeah yeah and it's funny to think that it was literally recorded to test the levels for yeah. <laughs> zen arcade like they were like well we so you know to save time they just tested the levels by recording that and it ended up being this like iconic cover song it's there's like, some you know, footage of there, there's some footage of them playing it on YouTube from like it's like some pink 
pop festival or something. Some I I, I know it's from like, it, the footage looks like it's from warehouse era touring. You know, I've seen that. Like, yeah, and it's that footage is so good. It's uh, yeah. Yeah, Jeff, um, tell, tell us a little bit about how you first, I know you kind of touched on this some about getting into um, playing guitar, but how you first came in contact with Husker Du, Sugar, Bob, Grant. It all stems from Dinosaur Jr. for me. You know, it was like nice. some of the older skateboarders when I was a kid, you know, would make me mixtapes and stuff of punk bands and things. And it was like, you know, so that's kind of how I started getting into it. And I mean, you know, I liked, I liked the Descendants. I liked the Faction, like stuff like that. I mean, I grew up in Vegas, so it was like you know, West Coast was like, I, was, I wasn't being exposed to anything from DC quite yet or anything like that. And you know, those kind of lead the things. And I feel like I, I heard Dinosaur Jr. in like a skate video or something. I think it was, if I remember right, I think it was like an Ohio skate out, like this contest video. And SST provided like the soundtrack for this, this skate video. Like the, the mom and pop video rental store around the corner from my parents' house used to have like skateboard contests like that you could rent. That's <laughs> and, awesome. That's awesome. And the, I can't remember what song it was in Ohio skate out. I think it was like sledge fest or whatever. Good and one. I was just, I was like, wow, this is fucking cool. And then acquired those tapes. And then that just kind of blew everything up for me. And then that was like, you know, I'm a, like a kid, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it was like, <laughs> what else is on this? Like you're scouring the liner notes and the pictures and everything. And I'm like, what else is on this SST label? Like, I don't even think I even knew who black flag was yet you know i just knew i loved this dinosaur junior band and so then anything i could find that was on sst i ended up buying and then uh metal circus was like the first thing from Husker do for me and that just that record just changed everything awesome. you know yeah it's funny we we mentioned maybe in the first episode about how you know where our era is probably the last where like you sat and you scoured the liner notes. I'm not saying people don't do it and they, they don't go on Google or whatever, but there was just something so neat about like making those discoveries without using an internet search engine, like going and being like, oh, this is on this label. <laughs> yeah. And like, I remember the SST, they would have those little like catalogs where you could, you know, oh, yeah. Write and yeah. send in a money order and get stuff. Like that's how I got, you know, some of my oh, stuff too. Yeah. Yeah, my pressing in New Day Rising still has that like catalog in there that you can mail it to. Yeah, I mean, I've got a couple CDs someplace that like at like I think I got like Bugs still on SST and it has like a little catalog in with it, you know. That's awesome. So it's funny you say that about like the era of like scouring liner notes. It's like especially like when I started getting in the hardcore and stuff. It was like none of those bands would have ever played Vegas, you know. It was like it just wasn't a stop oh, on those yeah. tours, and so we didn't really have like. Like my friend Lance Wells, who's singing Tomorrow's Gone and was the singer in Faded Gray, he was the one that really kind of got me into hardcore. But since we never had any exposures to bands, we would just look through the liner notes to see who those bands thanked. And then so when we'd go to California for skateboard contests, like we'd go to record stores and just start looking for all the bands that were in the, like the thanks list of all these other bands. So it's like, that's how I like, I figured out all like, like, you know, like, straight edge stuff and hardcore bands that I ended up loving. It was cause it was like, we never had the chance to see them play. It was like, 
who did instead thank in their thanks list. <laughs> you know, it was like, right, yeah. okay, buy all the records from those bands. And I wanted to be like, the kids today don't know the pain of buying a record and having it suck. <laughs> like buying it, spending your allowance and being like, yeah, oh, this isn't really what I thought it was going to yeah. be. Or even just, you know, I've always noticed now with the way people consume music, they also don't give things a shot. Like they don't let it breathe. They'll hear 30 seconds of a song yeah. and be like, Dude, this new, I can't tell you how many times I've seen people be like, this new such and such song sucks. And then three months later, they're like, yo, it's actually pretty good. Like I listen, it's like, yeah, because people just, everything's so instant. You know, before you'd buy the record, you'd listen. Even if you didn't really get it, you'd probably let it breathe a little bit. It's funny because I like, Jay Robbins always got a kick out of this story. And that was Jawbox for me. Because I remember like, like once I got into Dag Nasty or like Minor Threat and stuff, that was like, okay, let me just get everything on Discord. And I remember when Novelty came out, but there, there was a Tower Records in Vegas and I went into the record store and they must have had like, for some reason, like a hundred copies of Novelty on cassette, right? And I was like, oh, new Discord, okay. And I took it home, I'm like, this doesn't sound like Dag Nasty. <laughs> and, I was, and then like I chucked it in a drawer, right? But since I bought it and I owned it, you know, a couple months later when I was bored of things I was listening to, I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll give this tape a try again. And then I'm like, this record's like one of my favorite records now. And it's like, I mean, if it was these days, I would have listened to like a couple minutes of it and then never gave it a chance again and really missed out on like incredible music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, don't know, I, mean, I don't want to sound like old dude shit, but it's like when you like make the commitment to actually physically own something, you're in it. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's just, a different, just like a different like level of like being involved in music because I mean, you've made that commitment to go to the store and physically spend your money on this item. Yeah, I do. I do remember too, like sometimes like going to the record store, buying stuff and like doing the opposite of that where I would be like, all right, I'm going to, I spent my 12 hard earned dollars on this. I'm going to really make sure I like this, like no matter what. And then like, I went yeah. back and listened like years later and I was like, er, that was a mistake. <laughs> I mean, the, yeah. dude, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of records from that era that don't necessarily hold up, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. but I mean, there, it's a time and place, you know? Well, even it's who's funny, to do like, was well, a slow burn for me. Like I yeah. got it and I was like, this is cool. But like, it took me, honestly like a while for them to really become what they are for me now oh i was all in right out the gate that song first of the last calls like it's the last song on the on the a side of the cassette of metal circus like i must i must have listened to that song a thousand times like i was just like immediate that band was an immediate reaction for me yeah they're doing something like obviously so unique on like all of their albums and i think that's what kind of um to echo Greg's point, like I remember I had a copy of New Day Rising and I was kind of like, what's going on? Because like in my mind, I was just expecting it to sound like first four years because I was like, oh, it's, yeah. just like it's just going to sound like Nervous Breakdown. And I was like, what? Why is there a dog on the cover of this album? Like, I don't get it. But I guess- It's so funny. Like I have this, ra I just have this random thought now that like I have a black flag tattoo and a Husker Du tattoo on the same arm. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. But it makes sense when you like when you think about it now. But like like see my first that we talked about in a previous episode, but my first one was Candy Apple Gray. So like great album. Which is, is it <laughs> yeah. is great, but it took me like 
I was much more attracted to the Grant stuff than the Bob stuff, but that's because that album is really that's a, a Grant album. Like, you know, it's funny. You, it's funny you bring that up because Jeff Pizzotti likes the Grant songs better than the Bob songs. I will say this: when Grant's got a great song, it's really, really fu- like fucking good. You know, yeah. I feel like Bob's like more consistent in the Husker do, but like Grant's standout moments are really standout ones. You know. I think that's a good that's a good yeah. assessment. So like I had I, Candy, I love Apple, Candy Gray. Apple Gray because I always like think like so that's their major label debut, right? The opening song is Crystal, which is like the punkest fucking song, dude. It's yep. so pissed and I'm like I just have this image in my head like of like the record execs thinking they're getting like flip your wig and then like listening and the first song's Crystal and them just be like what do we even do? You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean maybe yeah. maybe they Maybe somebody there was a little bit more progressive and was like, yeah, this is going to be great. But I'm like, how rad that'd be like your first record on Warner Brothers and that's the opener. I know. We said that it was like almost like a Zen Arcade side two track yeah. just with like cleaner production. You know, that, that record, it, we, like when we talked about it, the more I listened to that one, the more I actually came to appreciate it, even while doing the research for the episode. And this is an album I've had now for over 25 years. Yeah. But it it took a while, whereas like like I had talked about before, like the replacements, I didn't hear till later in life. When I first heard them, it was immediate. Like I was like, this is the this is like the best thing I've ever heard. But it's probably the, like an age thing, though. You know what I mean? It's like I I mean I was the same way. I didn't hear I didn't hear the replacements when I was fifteen. I think I heard the replacements when I was like like nineteen. I mean I was aware of them. I remember like when Westerberg was on one hundred and twenty minutes, which seemed like all the time. So like when he what's the what's the song from the single soundtrack, dyslexic heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember like when that was like his breakout like solo single, and I was like, all right, well I should listen to replacements. You know, that was like kind of what led me to that. I'm like, okay, like I think if I would have heard the replacements and Husker Du at the same time, I don't think I would have been into the replacements like I am now. You me know? neither. I, yeah. I was saying too, like because I'm coming from um, I'm coming from hardcore. Well, we both are, right? Like yeah. Jude and I, and you said you were playing. So to me, like Husker Du, their ethics and their sound, especially on the SST stuff, just was more in line with that. I know you mentioned too, you playing in bands. You, you've you actually shared the stage with with Bob, right? Yeah, and, a few times. And if I've, I've, <laughs> I mean, I've seen like a bazillion shows of his. Like, I mean, I saw, I saw Sugar on the Copper Blue tour with Throwing Muses opening up. Like, it, like, like the opposite was like, you know, so I was saying that like hardcore bands never really played Vegas or anything like that. Those, the early 90s alternative explosion, like all those bands would come through Vegas a lot. Like that was a total, that was total stop on the circuit. So it's like, I mean, I saw Jesus and Mary Chain, like Ned's Atomic Dustbin on Godfather tour. Like I saw like all those kind of bands, you know, but then those were like the bigger shows I went to. But, and then it would be like, okay, well, no effects is playing here again. You know, for like the twentieth time this year, because it was like the, all the Southern Cal punk bands. It was just an easy weekend jaunt to come up and play. So it's right. like I've probably seen Bad Religion like thirty times. You know. <laughs> so was was Sugar seeing Sugar your first time seeing uh, Bob yeah. Mould play? Yeah, and and it's that show specifically is like in the top five shows that I've ever seen in my life. Not even because I love Bob's songwriting so much, but just like. They were so, <laughs> I'll never forget, it's like, they came out, he said hi, 
And then they just played for like an hour nonstop. It was so fucking loud. It was like the loudest thing that I've ever fucking seen. They didn't speak. And then when they finished, they said bye and left. That was going to be my like question this. was how loud was it? Because <laughs> so I know loud. My, my friend, uh, I, I, want, I believe my friend Blair that uh, owns Siren Records, he told me he saw them. Might have been on the, I think he saw them at City Garden. So it would have been the Copper Blue. And yeah. just, I feel like I remember him telling me it was just loud. It was awesome. It was so good. <laughs> like, I'd never seen anything that loud or heard anything that loud before. I mean, I had, like, just, like, such an image burned in my brain of them playing at that show. It was, like, easily, yeah, top five shows I've ever seen, for sure. That's awesome. So, you, but, um, so when you, now, your bands obviously didn't play with Sugar, but you got to play no. with Bob's current band, with which has, you know, John Worcester from Super Chunk and uh, Mountain Goats and... Uh, yeah jason from super chunk as well yeah yeah he lives in the city like the city over from me because i'm like oh. I'm, I'm north of chicago in a little town called morton grove and jason lives in evanston so we we come across each other fairly frequently he's a he's a good dude so what was it how did the shows come about like did some of their people reach out it was all eyes west i know that yeah, Always West did like a little Midwest run. Like we did two nights in Chicago with them back to back, and then we played First Avenue in Minneapolis with them. Nick Miller, who who runs Jam, this this company Jam out here, he's a really really great guy, and he's always been super cool with me and everything. And I think I hit Nick up. I was like, look, I really want to play these Chicago shows, and he was like, yeah, dude, you know, I'll, I'll put in a good word and stuff. And I'm like, and. So John Drew, who was playing drums for all as West at the time, he's a producer engineer at, out of Toronto. And his old band that was called Uncut actually did a full tour with Bob Mould when uh, Brendan Canty was playing drums. So we kind of, I was like, okay, John's met Bob a bunch. Bob liked John's old band. John's our drummer. That's a bit of an in, you know, like, and then I, I hit Vic Bondi up. And I was like, Vic, you know, because Vic and I are good friends. We play in Dead Ending together. And I was like, dude, can you please put in a word for me? And I think Vic called him and was like, yeah, hey, dude, you need to, you should have this band open for you. And I think it was between my persistence <laughs> bothering Nick Miller and Vic saying, yeah, these dudes are cool. Like, they're, Bob was like, yeah, dude, let's, let's do it. And then I was just supposed to be the two Chicago shows. And then they're like, hey, do you want to do Minneapolis with this dude? And I'm like, Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Awesome. And that, Bob, that Minneapolis show is like one of my favorite shows I ever played. There was just, it was electric in that room that night. And there was a lot of really funny things that happened. We were playing and for some reason, like, <laughs> and this, this, it was like, it was a slow song in Always West, which was cool. But my amp started like melting down, like out of nowhere. Like oh. I'm, I'm playing, you know, it's like sold out First Avenue show. Fucking, I'm like, terrified and then my aunt just goes oh, and i'm like no. i'm like fuck and i just start like yanking cables out of like everything and i swear i put the case i somehow i plugged the guitar direct like into the amp and move something around and i heard it kind of kick back in and i came in right on the beat for this oh, break and the whole crowd just like erupted everyone's like yeah <laughs> like it was like it was such a moment like everyone's like what the hell's gonna happen and i just came in right on the beat and then we did we had him right there it was awesome but so i hadn't really talked to bob any like that night or anything and 
so I'm backstage, uh, his guitar, t or it was the tour manager, Matthew. It, we had mutual friends and whatnot. So I'm talking to Matthew backstage after the show. And then he, and I'm trying to explain to him what happened with the amp. And then I hear this voice out of, out of the back, like behind me. He's like, yeah, what happened with that? That was pretty crazy. So cool that you got it in, like, you know, like on the beat. And I turn around and it's Bob. And I'm like, like I was just in the moment of the conversation that I didn't have time to think like that I'm talking about. I'm like, yeah, dude, you know, something happened with this. I had to undo the volume pedal, blah, blah. And, and he's like, wow, that's so cool, man. And I'm like, dude, you're one of my favorite guitar players of all time. Oh. <laughs> like Chris Farley on the uh, Saturday Night Live with It was totally like that. And I'm just like, I am such a dork. <laughs> dude, um, I was going to say with, with Bob too, one of the things I always found cool is it seems like he more so than maybe some other people from his whole era, like he seems to keep his finger on the pulse of what's going on. Like well, he, it was he was talking to me after I stopped nerding out and he was like, it was weird. I mean, it was rad because clearly he, whoever he has play with them, like he picks them, you know what I mean? No one's telling Bob like what bands he's taking on tour. He decides who's playing with them. And I mean, he was like really talking to me about all his West. Like he knew, like he knew about our band. Like he was like, you know, yeah, you know, I, I remember John from Uncut, you know, and like, you know, you play with Vic and like, you know, I really liked this first album and like was talking to me about songs. I'm like, dude, he like he, and then like he knew that I played guitar in the bomb with Jeff Pizzotti. Like it was like, I was like, oh man, he's, he, he knows what he's talking about. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's bad. It's super so, cool, uh, you know, some a, of these. He's a, he's a really, really nice guy. Really, really nice guy. You know, he's done so much, so many great, like it's always cool when somebody's like nice like that, but they've also released such incredible music. And, and I've had, you know, run-ins uh, that are comical with, with him. Um, mm -hmm. And he was way nicer than he would have had to be. And for, for given was, the circumstance, I've seen him play solo like a ton, and I've <laughs> I've always like avoided him. I mean, I mean, like a lot like solo acoustics in like weird places. Like he played like when he was doing the book tour, he played out by like O'Hare Airport in like this like hotel like ballroom, and it was like a seated event, and like he bought, and it was like there was not one punk rock person in that whole crowd. It was odd and. I was wearing a seven second shirt and like Jenny and my wife and I, we were sitting at a table right up front. He's like, Oh man, I saw Kevin not even that long ago, blah, blah. And I'm like, all right, cool. And then Jenny's like, go talk to him when the show was done. And I was like, no, no. And then my wife, she's hilarious. She's like, we're going. She's like, Bob, Vic says hi, blah, blah. This, and I was, and then Bob's like talking to me and I was like, dude, I've been avoiding you for years. He's like, why? I'm a nice guy. Why are you avoiding me? Like, I don't know. I can't. I can't talk to you about this stuff. Yeah. Was this before? Was this before you guys did those shows with them? Then, yeah, it had to okay. have been. Yeah. <laughs> it had to have been because now when I'm saying, if I ever run into, I'm like, hey, what's going on? You know. <laughs> I remembered seeing I'm not actually around the corner. <laughs> I remembered seeing uh, Kevin Seconds actually may have even shared like probably from around that time like a picture of him and Bob. And just it was probably what Bob was talking about because he said that they had played a show together. So yeah, it was there was a, there was another funny like weird Bob solo show that that Jenny and I went to see too. Like and we randomly came across it, like looked in the reader, and there was like some small ad 
but it was so this was around the time this was before body of song came out i feel like it was even closer to modulate but like but in, but anyways it was that time when he wasn't like touring with a full rock band anymore and jenny's like bob mold's playing at the field museum and i'm like like you know the 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 big museum here where all the dinosaurs are and stuff and they're like and jenny's like let's go and i'm like yeah of course so we go not ex i had no idea what the event was it was just like yeah let's go see bob mold at the field museum and we show up and it's like we paid to get in we got two drink tickets each and i'm looking around i'm like this is like a singles like mixer like, <laughs> and there's no bob mold to be found and there's like this little tiny stage underneath like the like the the giant dinosaur bones across from like the jackie o like clothing display <laughs> and then like you know like half an hour we're just kind of hanging out drinking beers i'm like i don't like i felt like we were children compared to everybody's there well so here comes bob in with like a backpack he's got a guitar in it he just kind of sets up on this little stage not acoustic just a, his strat and, and some distortion pedals and plugs into the pa and he made like a like you know like a funny joke he's like wow okay and he just killed it just full blast rocked out and i'll, ne and I'll never forget it because he played the song paralyzed i had no idea what this song was because that was like probably a year before that record even came out and it was so good when he like him just playing it by himself with electric guitar i was like whenever he puts out a new record it is going to be the best <laughs> that's awesome that was yeah. the first one i think jude and i right body of song yeah that was like that was the one that i was never a big like solo guy you know yeah. like i liked bands oh, those the um the hubcap record where yeah. i mean he has a drum on it but like that record is awesome and then last dog and pony show yeah. there's so many good songs on that record i feel like that record kind of gets skipped in his back catalog of solo stuff just because it was like he was like making a deliberate point that this was the last rock record he was gonna do, or at least for a while. Yeah. So it's like that song Sweet Serene on there is so good. Yeah. It's so yep. good. <laughs> yeah, I remember my copy of the CD of Last Dog and Pony Show had an extra CD. Like remember when they used to I've, I've got that thing, it's like yep. Jim and Jack Rabbit, like doing yep. an interview. Yeah. yeah and that. he's like he's like talking about how he's like, This is it, like I'm wrapping it up, like it's time to move on to something different. But you know, listening to it now in the context of like Silver Age being out and all of the stuff that he did on Merge is kind of I funny. Mean, yeah. The, the two records that he did on Anti, which is basically Epitaph Records, the Life and Times one and then the District Line, both those records are great. Yep. Like, yep. Actually the, the the Life and Times record that's the song The Breach, like I fucking love that song, man. Yep. Yep. Like those records are both great. <laughs> yeah, that's all like, like when he went to merge, so comes out with Silver Age, which is just like, I hold that record way up here, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it was like, oh, he's back for real. <laughs> yeah, and now he's done like this new one, uh, Blue Hearts, that's going to come out in a few months. Like that will be his like fifth album with this line yeah. in the lineup, and they're just all those records are so good <laughs> like they're it's funny you know. because it's like i kind of look at uh silver age beauty and ruin and then patch the sky like those three together it's it's like the same thing with like bad religion suffer no control against the grain i don't know what was happening but those three records coming like that they're just perfect you know yeah you're like he still has it and like all three of them are like they're just so consistent, like they're awesome.
Yeah. Yeah, I'm really I'm really excited for this new album because that's that single that they released, it's like super, super punk, super like yeah. relevant. It's just I'm like, oh, this album's gonna rock. I mean, not like that everything hasn't rocked, but it's like I feel like it's gonna be I think it'll probably be like a little bit more punk like Beauty and Ruin was, you know, like just like just like a fucking rocker. <laughs> well, he it's funny too, because when Sunshine Rock was coming out, he talked about how he wrote he started writing these like more punky protest anthems giving given everything that's going on in the world and yeah. you know the current administration here in the u.s and i know he was living in berlin at the time of sunshine rock but i think now he's in san francisco again if i'm not mistaken yeah. but he was saying how like he decided to do a complete opposite of what people expected because people expect oh he's gonna put out this like thrasher so he did you know sunshine rock which is like really poppy and happy but i mean that song 30 dozen roses is oh like, my god i know rock, i know that, that song's so good <laughs> when i first heard that song i seriously like almost started to cry just because i was like he shouldn't like i can't believe he still can write something like this and have it yeah. be this good like we don't yeah. deserve this <laughs> I, was like, I was like we don't we don't deserve something this good but then with this blue hearts it seems like now he's giving he's going to give the, that protest record yeah. um, and it's coming out obviously, you know, at the, at the right I mean, time. I, pre, I, I pre-ordered the color vinyl as soon as that went live. So <laughs> I know I, I, we're, we're both, I know I speak for Jew too. Like we're, we're excited. I mean, he's, these last ones have been so good, but I think there's a common, you know, a lot of people think that, Oh, he started getting good again with silver age. But like you said, like, Body of Song, District Line, Life and Times. I mean, I'll even go as far as to say it's like, dude, look, you know, Modulate's not my jam. You know, I, I respected what he was trying to do and go out of the, out of his comfort zone and box with, with stuff like that. And so I can see why people then, like a lot of, at least people from like the punk community or whatever, weren't latching onto it. But there's some good guitar riffs on that record, even yeah. in with the dance, man. It's like, he never, he never lost his thing. He's, he's been, he's fucking consistent, dude. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. He is. And, um, you know, it's just, it's just refreshing that 40, now we're like 40 plus years. I mean, Husker's formed in 79 and just hearing that American crisis song 41 years after the guy starts writing songs and it's just a freaking like ripper. I'm, I'm really, really excited for what this record is. I'm like, I'm sure it's going to be, awesome so crazy man it's like i was just having a memory like of buying like the helpless single when it came out i remember this record store in vegas called benway bop there was like two like kind of punk record stores a place called the underground and this place benway bop and i remember just like going i'd hang out at the record store because there's nothing else to do in vegas if you weren't skateboarding i remember going there and ron who owned the store he's like it's like dude check it out because you knew i liked husker dude it was like bob mold's new band and I mean, let's see where it's at. I still have that single, literally the one I bought when I was, whatever year that was. I can't, my record, my CD collection's a mess, but I remember it was like Bob Mole's new band. And I was like, this is the best. That song <laughs> like that is song, so good the, too. The needle hits E is like the B side, on, is the, the B side on that single. And it wasn't on the album. And that song is fantastic. Yeah. I don't know why they didn't put it on the record, on the actual record. I know. We said we're actually going to do like separate B-sides episodes because, yeah. you know, we've been, we've been doing albums because there's just so many good, you know, the, the replacements had really good B-sides as well. But I yeah. mean, Husker doing is 
well, maybe not as much who's could do, but sugar. I mean, we'll, we'll have to have a whole episode just on their B sides. <laughs> yeah. Cause they're, there's so much gold. Like, well, I mean, if you ever see any interviews, I mean, it was like he had such a catalog of songs already written before, like he put that band together, you know? So it's like, I mean, they did Beaster and Copper Blue at the same session and all of those B-sides too, you know? Yeah, I think he said they tracked like 30, 30 songs or something when he was in, at the outpost with Lou Giordano. Yeah. Um, who like, <laughs> if anyone out there is, I would love to like talk to Lou Giordano. I don't see really any interviews. If anyone has uh, any connects with how to get him, because I would just love to talk to him about, you know, he did the sound for Hooskers. He did the... the, the dude, that dude, the, I mean, that dude, that dude recorded the Deep Wound record. And like, SSD, Get It Away. Yeah. I, if I'm not mistaken, he did Gang Green Preschool, too. <laughs> wow. Sorry, I keep looking at my collection because I'm like, I want to make sure I got this straight, but I'm, oh, my eyes are fucking terrible in this light. <laughs> Well, anyways, I'm pretty sure he recorded Gangrene as well. <laughs> but I, like, I always thought, like, to me, like, you know, he did um, A Boy Named Goo, Goo Goo Dolls. And, that record rules. Right, and I always thought like that, like. the last good Goo Goo Dolls record. I always thought that there's no way that they didn't go in and just be like, we want to use this guy because he did Sugar. Like, because oh, to I'm me, sure. it, like, that had to be the, the catalyst for them, you know, choosing well, him to do that. Well, not that, like, the, the Goo, like, the, you know, like, Hold Me Up and Superstar Car Wash aren't, like, big guitar records, but Boy Named Goo is, like, a big guitar record, so I would, I would probably say you're right with that, you know, it was, like, when that, when, when Copper Blue came out, like, records didn't sound that massively guitar heavy, you know what I mean? Like, that record, like, everyone's, like, holy shit, this is huge. I guarantee you, Goo Dolls were, like, we yeah. want to sound like the guitar. <laughs> And that's why I said I've always wanted to talk to him because I love the sound of those things. I mean, he did, he did um, <laughs> that band, the Ataris. Like the album he did of them sounds great. And did like he the other Melancholin record too, not the Penny Bridge Pioneers, but I think he did the one after that. He might have. I'll, we'll have to we'll have to do some research on that um, <laughs> and get <laughs> get back to people. But yeah, like I always thought that like that had to be the cat. I think Atari's, I read an interview with Chris Rowe when it came out and he said, we went to Lou Giordano cause copper blue. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That record was, that, that record was a game changer, man. What's yeah. your favorite who's heard you song? Let's flip it. Oh, <laughs> flip Greg, it. I'll let you take that first. <laughs> uh, it, honestly, like, like I try to think like if I had to play one for somebody um, and say like, Hey, this is, this is who's do. Uh, this is what they sound like today. I'm going to say like chartered trips, I think from Zen arcade is just such yeah. a good, and he still plays it. And like, it sounds great, yeah. but I think it's the perfect mix of that. The hardcore Bob stuff, but then showing like where he's going to go. Um, I just I love that song, but you know, I, could, jam, dude. <laughs> I could make an argument for "Celebrated Summer." Yeah, um, I actually think I prefer the live version that's on the Living End to the studio, just because it's so yeah. like the the way it's like Grant's backup vocals are so like urgent, and it just mm -hmm. it almost sounds like it's gonna like fall apart, and it doesn't fall apart, and it's great. But yeah, if I had to go studio, I'm going chartered trips for okay. today at least 
Yeah, I know. It's such an impossible question because if you ask me any day of the week, I would pick a different song. If I had to pick one today, it'd be Makes No Sense at All. That's the one song that like, you know, if I'm having a good day, like that song just like comes in my head. Yeah. Um, it's like, and also like, is like the perfect, I don't know. I just love, it perfectly encapsulates like his ability to write like an awesome, super catchy song. It just hits all the registers. It's got like great guitar work in it. It's like four minutes long. You know what I mean? It's just like yeah. everything he's capable of is there. It's like Beatles. It's seriously yeah. like, a, it's, it's like Beatles through a, through a fuzz box. Yeah. It's funny because it's like, I mean, I mean, in the scheme of things, I would say real world because that was the song that set it off for me. You know, I mean, that's the, that's the one that I heard when I bought that tape, you know, and then I was just hooked. But <laughs> you'll probably find, I would say Standing in the Rain is probably my favorite Husker Du song. That's, that warehouse, warehouse record is like really, that one, that one took me a long time to really oh, get the shot. Oh man, I was all in, all in, man. <clears throat> right up, it's like, what do you think Green Day ripped like every single thing off from, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. We talked about that too in the earlier episode in like another episode, we said like Green Day really took, and he'll admit it, took that, yeah. the Minneapolis, like, you know, people would always say, oh, they, they want to be descendants. And I don't, I think he actually no. said he's not even into the descendants. He was like, it was all Husker Du and, and replacements. Like that's what well, we wanted to do. Well, if you listen to the thousand hours, seven inch that green day record it's so husker doish i mean shit the song only of you which is probably my favorite green day song which <laughs> is probably because the main riff of that song is almost the the chorus of standing in the rain like if you listen to them the notes are in the in the arrangement is basically the same you know you can totally hear it. like i said those those early records owe a lot to to bob and you know we talked about too with like Foo Fighters, the early Foo Fighters records, and and you know Grohl admits it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like like G Angel from File Under Easy Listing is like yeah. the template for the Foo Fighters. Yeah, we've all we've all we've all taken a play from the Bob. We've all taken we've all lifted from the Bob playbook. Yeah, right. <laughs> so so I will admit that a hundred percent. We we talked a lot about Bob. Tell us some stuff about Grant. I know you said you have a. <laughs> A really cool Grant Hart <laughs> yeah, I story. That, um, I know I was super bummed when he passed away. Um, I, I, mean, I, don't know, I don't know if it's if it's good. It's great. <laughs> but so, so my old band, the story so far, we were playing Fireside Bowl one night, and then the bomb before I played guitar for the bomb was the late show after us, and Grant Hart was playing with the bomb, and so I like my daughter was just born, so it was literally like I had to go to the show and play, and then I had to leave right and so we got we got done with our set and i'm leaving and i see jeff and paul who was playing i mean that was playing drums for the bomb at the time they're talking to grant hart out in front of fireside bowl and grant's like sitting on the hood of his car and so i go up to jeff and paul i'm like hey guys dude you know sorry i can't stay i really have to go but man you know have a great show blah blah, blah. and then grant hart's like what's the matter you gotta go home and suck on your mommy's titty and i'm just looking at him and he's like, oh, your daddy's dick. And I was just like, huh, okay, man. And so I get in my car to leave and I'm driving down Fullerton and I just start fuming. Like, I'm so mad. I'm like, dude, this dude doesn't even know how his band changed my fucking life. So I turn back around 
And I pull up right in front of his car and I get out of my car and I'll never forget the look on his face. He was smoking a cigarette. And I was like, you know what, motherfucker? I was like, fuck you for that shit. And I, and like, I was like, dude, Metal Circus changed my fucking life. I wish I could see you play, but I have a brand new daughter. I got to get fucking home. I think it's bullshit. And he, the look on his face was like that no one had ever talked to him like that ever. And he was like, Whoa. I'm so sorry. He's like, I am so sorry. And he's like, you want a cigarette? And I'm like, yeah. And so I sat <laughs> on the hood of his car with him and smoked cigarettes. And just, and then he was like super cool. And we talked <laughs> for like 10 minutes and I left and I was always like, felt so good about going there and calling him on a shit. Yeah. So fast, so fast forward a couple of years when I uh, joined the bomb on guitar, I think it was like one of the first practices we had. Pizzotti was like, remember that night in front of Fireside? He was like, I thought that was so cool. That dude's been a dick for years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you hear different, like Bob, you hear more like the, oh yeah, he came, he checked out the band. And, you know, I, you don't really hear nearly as much about Grant, um, but he was, you know, like Jude and I talked about, all three members were integral. I mean, even Greg. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, you know, from a music, mu uh, musical standpoint, but yeah, I feel like even while he was still with us, like Bob kind of overshadowed Grant just cause Bob's so prolific and he just, yeah, you know, well, it's, it's so, uh, this one year, cause, um, whatchamacallit, Airstream Futures opened up for the descendants before and stuff. And I ran into Carl Alvarez in this like taco shop in Chicago and it was funny because it was like, I didn't recognize him at first. And like, he came up to me, he's like, cause they were playing Riot Fest. And he was like, hey, you want these passes? And they were artist bands, which basically means you can go wherever you want. It's like the holy grail of passes for Riot Fest. And Jenny and I are sitting there. I'm like, um, yeah, okay. All right, man. I, like, I, was, I was like, I thought he was some weird drunk dude, right? And then I look, he's got a Husker Du shirt on. And I'm like, oh, fuck, this is Carl. I'm like, hey, dude. It's fucking Jeff, you know, <laughs> like because we had met before. And like when I I used to guitar tech for Suicide Machines and we toured with Descendants when um, whatchamacallit came out. Everything sucks. Oh, that Caffeine so, Nation. Like, was it the Caffeine Nation tour or something like that? It was summer 96. That's oh, all yeah, I, no, I don't remember different. how the tour was built. But anyways, so then like I'm talking the car like and I was wearing a Dag Nasty T-shirt. And so like he was like, dude, I remember what Descendants turned Dag Nasty. I'm like that Husker Du shirt's rad. And we got into this discussion about Greg Norton. And he's like, he's the most underrated bass player ever. He is the best. And I'm like, I'm like, you know, that hook in Girl, Girl Lives on Heaven's Hill, right? I'm like, the ding, 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 ding. He's like, yes, that's exactly why he's the best bass player. We just yeah. had this like nerd out moment about Greg Norton. That's awesome. Basically my long, long way of getting to the fact that like, even though Husker Du is a three-piece band, they're the band that you know everyone's name because that's how integral they would not be the same band if one of those dudes wasn't there. Agreed. There's those stories that Greg went up to Bob and talked about, hey, let's continue without Grant. And Grant said that Bob said, let's continue without Greg. Right. And like, it just would have never worked. Well, did you read the Bob Mould book? I mean, he talks about how the band ended. Yeah. You know, I, mean, I, mean, I, don't, I mean, obviously that's his take on it, but it's, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, like you hear different because I've heard different takes. You know, one person saying this and one that, um, and they're one of the few bands too that even while there was a chance, they never did a reunion. He never, yeah. You know, he's he may play songs from that songbook of of Husker Du, but he's 
really forward thinking. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what's the closest thing? They did that acoustic song for when Carl from Soul Asylum died. There was a benefit. And then, I mean, Grant yeah. played together acoustic. And that was the only time they ever played together since the end of the band. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. Didn't he say in the book that even that was kind of a tense, like acrimonious oh, kind yeah. of performance? Like He said they didn't really talk about it. Like, it was just kind of like, okay, let's do this. And they ran through the song once and then did it. Like, or yeah. something. It was like some planned out thing, you know? The one thing that is nice to know is that in towards the end of Grant's life, it seemed like they were on at least somewhat of speaking terms with doing that, you know, because they had to do the box set. Yeah, Savages I was going to say, I mean, they had to, like, they at least had to discuss things with the box set. It's a bummer that it didn't come out before Grant died. You he know? had such a hand in it. There, um, I feel like I remember seeing, like, a post from, like, I can't remember who it is that does Numero, Numero Group. But like it was like the guy like was so sad that they weren't able to get it out before he died. He like it's crazy. I mean, dude, that box set's sick. I mean, I've got the vinyl behind me. Like it's like that's a quite a like a, a, a collaboration of work on everyone's part to put that thing together. I know the book. The yeah. book's been a, a valuable resource for yeah. um, you know for me with doing research for the episodes and i managed to get one with that extra circus like who oh, knew that there would I was be just this say, <laughs> I, I got my my box that's on gray vinyl which i was stoked to get but i missed out on the one with the extra circus and i've tried to find that seven inch and no one's selling it like you can't find i mean maybe it's on discogs or something for some stupid amount of money but i don't i mean i, I want to know what those songs sound like man it's crazy yeah. there's so many like like i've got a ton of like bootlegs like, you know, with like weird unreleased songs and stuff like that. And there, there's a lot of really great missing songs from those recording sessions. Like, as this bootleg guy, it says it's from the new, from New Day Rising, but maybe it's not, I don't know. But there's these two songs that are like, one's called um, Listen, the other one's called Race Today. And they're two of the best Husker Du songs, period. I don't know how these didn't end up on the album. Like, why were those two songs cut? They're so good. And they're both, they're both Bob songs. They're great. Yeah. We'll have to, we'll have to include those, Jude, when we do uh, a, like a Hooskers singles B-sides uh, thing. We'll have to get those. I know the Extra Circus is on the streaming stuff. You can hear it. Um, yeah, I, don't, I don't do streaming yeah, things. It's not, the, <laughs> it's not the same. And like, we... I'm the guy that like shows up at tour with a book of CDs still. <laughs> Like when we do the, uh, like no streaming. <laughs> when we do the metal circus, we'll probably lump that in. But it's 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 cool, um, you know. And it's just, you know, we talked about how crazy it is the amount of material they put out in a really short amount of time. I, it's absolutely like they weren't even like they break up eighty seven. Is that right? I think that's right. They did their last shows in 87. I think they officially broke up in early 88. But that'd be like, either way, I mean, it's like they weren't even together 10 years and that much musical output. It's wild, man. I know, I know. Yeah, that story about um, when you met Grant and how, like, you know, he was originally, like, pretty mean and then you had to turn back around and, like, had, like, a nice conversation with him. So a couple of years ago, like, I... I quickly met Henry Rollins and like, so I was walking um, out of a building on Drexel's campus where I was teaching at the time. 
and I saw mm -hmm. him and I was like, Oh, that's Henry Rollins. I have a, like, I'm obviously a big flan, like a black flag tattoo, but yeah. Um, and I was like, Oh, that's Henry Rollins. And then I was like, Oh, that's Henry Rollins. And like, I walked around the block and I was like, I'm always like super like, I was like, I don't know. Do I want to meet somebody I admire? Like, what if they're not nice? Um, yeah. So like I circled the block and I was like, I have to like, I have to go back and like say hi to him because like, when else am I going to get the chance to do that? Um, yeah. And I did. And he ended up just being like the absolute nicest dude ever. Um, it's always nice when, you know, people that you admire or who's songwriting, you look up to end up being also cool people. I, I, I had a really bad meeting story with Brian Baker the first oh, no. time I met him. Really, really bad. And it was right when he joined Bad Religion. Like, I mean, you know, he's just coming off Junkyard. I mean, he still had like long, like Hessian hair. And he was playing like, like, a, like a solid state marshal. Like it was like his guitar setup was, was silly, but it was like, you know, coming off hair metal or whatever. But so like this place, the Hunter's Theater in Las Vegas, that's where like those kind of the bigger shows were at at the time. It was kind of like the equivalent of the Metro here in Chicago. And I, after the show, I saw Brian outside and I like went up to him. I'm like, hey man, you know, just really wanted to shake your hand. I mean, you, you know, you're part of the reason why I ever decided to play guitar and all this stuff. I was really nice to him. And he was like, why don't you hold, can you hold this while I go towel off? And I'm like, okay and so i'm just like standing there out there like out like side and then like he just never came back and then i look and then i looked like down around their tour bus and he's like hanging out with these like rocker looking chicks smoking weed and i looked at him i caught eye contact with him and i just shook my head at him i was like <laughs> he was he was like he was such a dick that he like crushed me like i, I was like depressed for weeks because it was like dude it's like part of the reason why i ever picked up a guitar like i don't expect you to talk to me all night about fucking sean brown and or what or dag nasty or anything but like dude at least be like that's awesome man thanks and then the flip side is is that download by law came through like not long after that and i met dave smalley and he was like the best fucking dude ever and i was like it kind of like i was like okay i still love dag nasty it's fine but I'll tell you what I did take away from that meeting, that, that encounter with Baker was that like, anytime I've ever been in that kind of situation with any of my bands, like, like I don't care how tired I've been or like what drama's going on in life. It's like always fucking cool to fucking everybody, man. It's fucking crucial, dude. It's like, if somebody's taken the time to like listen to your music and it's impacted them, you owe that to them, man. I think so anyways. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it's tough because, like you said, if it's somebody that you look up to and you hear they're a jerk, it's kind of, like, disheartening because you're like, ah, oh, man. I mean, you don't, know, you don't know what's going on in people's lives or anything. You know, it's like I've met Brian a couple times since then. He's been, he's been very nice to me. But it was like, you know, I think it was like 19 or 20, man. It was like and just starting to play in bands. And, like, like, it was like, I was like, dude, that shit crushed me. Yeah. <laughs> especially I could see like in like a subculture like punk where so much of it is about like community and in like engagement with the audience. Yeah. Something. Like if I met like James Hetfield and he were a jerk, I'd be like, Oh, you kind of expect that. Sure. <laughs> Why wouldn't you be? Uh, he's probably a very nice person. I have no idea. But... Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Watch some kind of monster. See what you think. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's just stock, yeah. man. It's just stock. <laughs> I did meet Bob. 
the first time I did was because um, this is sort of funny. I figured I may as well. I was going to have to share it at some point on the podcast. May as well be today. Was when he did the Copper Blue tour, the yeah. twenty year tour. Uh, they played a place in Philly here called Union Transfer. Mm-hmm. Uh, awesome venue, and. I got there early and I actually brought, I had a copy of copper blue, like the, not the merge issue, but the like Ryko disc did one too. For the yeah. 20- I've got that vinyl, the vinyl v- version. Yeah. So yeah. I br- I brought that in my car and I was just like, maybe I'll be able to find a way to get him to sign it. I don't have, I never bring stuff to sign, but again, it was Bob and I was like, I'm going to bring it. And since I had another copy, cause I had the merge ones, I was like, Hey, if it sits in my car, whatever, it doesn't matter. So I get to the show early. And at this point, I'm driving uh, my old car. It was a 2001 Pontiac. And I had this slow oil leak. I get in front of the venue. I get a nice spot. I'm, I'm literally putting oil in my car. I look across the street. And I see Bob and John Worcester going into some coffee shop. And I literally yell out to Bob. Like, yo, Bob, like, as if I was yelling at, like, if I saw you, Jeff or Jude, like, across the yeah. street. like, I was like, well, like, we're friends, obviously, right? I love the guy's music. And he looks and he gives a wave and then he goes in. I run across four lanes of traffic and I go in there and I'm basically just like, 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 you know, Chris Farley. I'm like, yeah, I'm a huge fan. Uh, blah blah blah. I have I have this. You know, I'm out here. I'm I'm can't wait for the show. I have this record to sign. He's like, yeah, yeah, bring it on over. And he's like, I was like, I was gonna wait till after the show. And he actually said, it's better you do it now. Because I get yeah. like when you do these shows that are an hour and a half, two hours, or however long he plays, he's exhausted. He wants to towel off and he wants to, you know, get moving. But yeah, he signed the record and we talked a little bit. And John, I've also met a couple times. He's super cool. And like, you know, we had that connection of he's from, uh, he lives in, his family lived in a place called Harleysville, which is like a suburban Philadelphia area, like near where I grew up. So mm-hmm. just cool guys. And it really made me like, I was like, this is awesome. So I mean, it's, I mean, it's part of why, like, I was so intimidated to talk to Bob, like all those years. And I thought it was funny when my wife like called me on my shit. And when Bob's like, dude, I'm a nice guy. Why have you been avoiding me? And it was like that thing with Brian has always been in the back of my head. Like I don't, I don't want to ruin that thing of these people that influenced me. I mean, you know, I met Adam Franklin a bunch of times and he's like the nicest dude ever. I don't know. It's funny, man. Like when like bands like that impact your life so much, I mean, it's like, you know, I, I've been lucky with me with music and this, like with the people I've been able to be in bands with. And it's funny because it's like, you know, I, I played in Dead Ending with Vic Bondi. Vic is one of my great friends. He's a fucking legend, you know, he's in Articles of Faith. I played in a band with Jeff Pizzotti for over a decade. Fucking Naked Ray Gun, Big Black. I mean, people probably look at those dudes in the way that I look at like a Bob Mould, you know. And it, but it's like with those guys, I'm like, this is fucking Pizzotti. You know what I mean? It's like, it never hit me the way. And it's not to say that, that Naked Reagan and Articles of Faith aren't important to me. They're like some of my favorite bands. But there's just something about like, when someone's the reason why you decided to do something, like it just has that, like it's just way more intimidating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and like I saw, when, when I saw the bomb, when you guys played Philly, that was the first time I think we met. You know, we, yeah. I knew you from the Dag Nasty. It's all, it all comes full circle. It does. It all comes back to the DAG board. <laughs> From the DAG Nasty um, message board. 
and you guys, the bomb played, this was like two or three weeks after Ray Gun came. Ray Gun was our first time, I think, ever in Philly or mm-hmm. in Philly in like 20 years at that point. And they, they killed it. Like that was the best. I saw them another time at Riot Fest and it was like a big stage. It wasn't the same as yeah. being in the first Unitarian church. And that show was packed. And then the bomb played in Philly. It might've been with Off With Their Heads or something. Oh yeah, at the Barbary, right? Yes. And not not nearly as many people were there. And the Speed Is Everything record. What are you, you trying to say, man? <laughs> I'm just saying, and it would bum me out because I'm like, the Speed is Everything record's freaking fantastic. Thanks, and, dude. I, I really like that record a lot. And, um, you know, they played, and I remember afterwards, you know, meeting you and hanging out, and Pizzotti was just hanging out, chatting, and he was like, like, I asked him, when's the new Naked Ray Gun 7-inch come out? And he's like, hold on, let me find out. And he picked up the phone, he calls Mike, Mike Riot Fest or whatever. He's like, hey, I got a guy here. He wants to know when the record comes out. <laughs> that's so, that's so Pizzotti right there too, man. That's such a Pizzotti. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Jeff, you said that um, Standing in the Rain is your favorite um, Bob Huskers song. Um, just two more quick questions. What's your favorite Sugar song? And what's your favorite Grant Huskers song? Ooh, favorite Sugar song, shit. It's probably tilted, prob tilted or, or gift. Ah, oh, both great picks. You covered yeah. tilted, right? Yeah, my my old band Four Star Alarm. We covered tilted and put a seven inch out of it. Actually, awesome. <laughs> Justin, who runs Underground Communication Records, Bob was playing a, a solo set at the Street Festival next to my house, and and Justin went there and was like, "So I put this seven inch out." you know, we made this many. He's like, should I just pay you money that we owe you for this? <laughs> and Bob's like, I don't think you need to pay me, man. Can I just have a copy of it? <laughs> That's awesome. It's a and, great cover. How'd you nail that? You nailed the, you got the solo down. Like, I nailed that, is, that fucking solo. Yeah. Down. I really, I, like, I will, I will, I will definitely say that. <laughs> That's not usually <laughs> my forte. I'm not a big, like, lead, lead guitar person like that. But I was like, I'm going to nail this thing. <laughs> yeah, awesome. I don't want to talk about that too much because I want to save that for when we do Beaster, but I'll say here a little t- like that's one of my top five favorite guitar solos of all time, like at anywhere. You heard, just, have you heard the four star alarm cover? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and I'm saying you, you nailed it. And like, so if people <laughs> like, want oh, to <laughs> check it out, it's if you just search four star alarm tilted on YouTube. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, you, I mean, I think you could probably even still find a copy of the seven inch at Underground Communicate Records. I think Justin still has a couple. Nice. It's a cool seven inch too. It's it's a the Husker. I mean, sorry, the the Sugar cover, and then there's a live version of a song called Cities and Dust that ended up being on our the one album that we put out. And then the B side of the seven inch is is a etching. It's really fucking cool. cool. <laughs> it's probably the coolest physical looking vinyl release I ever did. That's awesome. awesome. All right, so we got your sugar. Uh, it's it's if Grant's song, it has to be "She Floated Away." But mm. What a great song! Yeah, it's also really like that's like Beatles. Like I keep saying Beatles, but it really is like that's like like a Paul McCartney Beatles. Yeah. If, if makes no sense at all, is Bob doing say like Lennon? You know, yeah. that's, that's Grant doing Paul McCartney, and then Bob. Uh, one more, I guess, is do you have a favorite solo move song? It's tricky because, I mean, there's so many of, the, of those solo songs that I love and mean things for different reasons, but I will say that it's like, and it's not be, the song Descent, when Silver Age came out, things that were happening in my life and what was going on, like that song like 
it makes me emotional every time I listen to it. Like, it's such a good song, man. Yeah. Yeah, that might be that. Honestly, I mean, I don't want to. That would be a contender for sure. And same thing when that. I remember when that premiered, and they had like a SoundCloud, yeah. and I was at work, and I must have just played that SoundCloud link on repeat because it was just straight up fire. It's still like it a was, song and, that and, I might listen to it. Like if I'm in my car listening to it, I'll listen to it like three times in a row. Yeah, like it's perfect. Still, all these years later, I'm like. I repeat, yeah, I, I want to listen to that one more time. I'm glad it made it. I'm glad it like made it to his like. It's like a staple, pretty much. Yeah, when he plays solo. Well, did you ever see the footage of them playing it on Letterman? Yes, it's that's like one of the best live performances I've ever seen. Easily. Is that the one where like this, like the ceiling comes in, like like the sorry, the dust from the top yeah. of the ceiling. Yeah, it's just the thing about it, like Bob Bob's vocal performance on that on the Letterman show of that. Is so like just, dude. So it sounds like Husker do more. It's like this. Yeah. Like, and I think they did. It. Didn't they do Good Idea too, or something like, as the second song maybe? And I remember it's. No, it's I don't like, remember. It's like faster. Yeah. Like he like because I remember telling a friend like he saw that and he's like oh this is great and then he heard the Copper Blue version, and he's like oh this is like tame. Even though I love the Copper Blue, but like, I don't know if it's tame. Yeah, but like compared to you know compared to the the Letterman. So yeah, good. I would say that's a good choice. I want to thank yeah, you. Yeah, I, mean, I get it, dude. It's like I could sit here and talk about this shit all day, man. So yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't think anybody needs three hours of us rambling on. <laughs> no. it, was so, super, it was super fun, man. Yeah, <laughs> so, so much, Jeff. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thank again, so I was gonna say I might. I don't want to see my. So that was our interview with Jeff Dean. And, um, you know, we want to thank Jeff again for coming on and being our first interview. Hopefully we did okay for a first try. Um, it was really, really enjoyable. Um, so Jeff, you know, like we mentioned in the beginning of the episode, Jeff did say he'd come back and talk replacements with us. So we really look forward to that. So uh, as we mentioned, he's in some bands and, they either have releases that are out as of very recently or will be coming out. So be on the lookout. He's got All Eyes West have a new album that came out a couple months ago called Like Lightning on Jumpstart Records. Um, Airstream Futures have uh, an album called Le Fou et Le Sable. I think that's French. Um, my 14 year old who takes French isn't home right now or I'd ask him how to pronounce it um, that's out on Little Rocket Records and then Dead Ending which features Vic Bondi from Articles of Faith a, a Reflex Records band uh, they have a seven inch I believe this is coming out I don't know if it's out right now um, called Want, uh, What You Believe or Want You Believe um, and that's on Alternative Tentacles Records so be on the lookout for those. So Awesome. So yeah, so that's it for this week. Thanks for listening, everyone. We're looking forward to you joining us on our future explorations of this essential Midwestern punk rock. For our next episode, episode six, we're going to be talking about the Replacements Stink record on Twin Tone. So thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. See you next time, folks. Thanks for that time.